And welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify and Anchor FM and all the other different platforms we broadcast on there, uh, here at Sunshine USA. I'm Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And as always, it's so great to have you tuned in uh, to the broadcast today. Uh, we're going to be in Amos chapter 6 today. And we're getting into what I call the home stretch of the book of Amos. I mean, after all, we've got chapter 6 today, then we've got chapter 7, 8, and 9, and then we will officially be finished with the book of Amos. But, uh, you know, there's really some great stuff in here. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you, there is some great stuff here in the book of Amos. And, and I say that realizing that as I look back over my ministry, I really haven't done a lot of preaching and teaching out of the book of Amos. And that's one of the things I like about systematic Bible teaching is it forces us to take a look at uh, books of the Bible that we might normally skip over because it doesn't seem interesting. But there's really some great stuff here in the book of Amos. And now we're in Amos Chapter 6. Now, in order for us to fully understand what is going on here in chapter 6, we have to understand that Amos is actually doing his ministry during a time of economic prosperity. I mean, things are booming. I mean, think about it. Things are just really, really booming. I mean... Uh, uh, pretty much everybody in Israel that wanted a job, they had a job. Prices were reasonable. Uh, wages were up. I mean, the people in Israel were really living on easy street. They were living the good life. Uh, now, of course, the only bad thing about this is, at the same time, they were totally unfaithful to God. Now, one of the things that we're going to see in the lesson today is the fact that economic prosperity can actually be harder to deal with than financial adversity. I mean, if you ask the average Southern Baptist pastor, he would love to get some rich folks into his church. I mean, can you imagine if someone like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, if they got saved and came to know Christ as their Savior, and they started tithing, and they joined your church, can you imagine <laughs> the positive impact that you think that would be on your church? I mean, man, all of a sudden, your church would be able to do anything and everything it wanted to do. I mean, <laughs> seriously. I mean, you would be very, very happy about that, seemingly. But actually, one thing I've observed during my ministry and bearing in mind, I'm 67, going on 68 years old. And so I've been around the block a time or two. I have found in my ministry that rich folks are much harder to reach with the gospel than poor people. You see, the thing about it is, rich people seldom see their need for God. They would rather bask and boast in their own accomplishments. Because of their accomplishments, they frankly see no need for God. Because they think they're doing okay without God. And that's the way these 
leaders were at this time in the book of Amos. The Israelites in the book of Amos were feeling that they were doing pretty good, especially the leaders. The leaders felt like uh, here they are, leaders of what they considered one of the greatest countries on earth. People all over Israel were coming to them for financial advice and opinions and everything else. And boy, they felt good about themselves. Um, they um, were, however, not living for the Lord. They were totally unfaithful for God. Now, now realize, too, that except for Amos, there's not really much of a role model for the people of Israel to go by. I mean, let's say you live in a neighborhood or maybe you live in a city where you're the only Christian. You see, there's no role models for you to emulate or imitate. Therefore, you start imitating the lives of people around you, which are totally ungodly. And so that's the kind of life you start living. So in one sense of the word, it's easy to criticize the Israelites here for being unfaithful, but do understand they really had no role model to go after. And then we find that in verses 4 through 7, Amos chapter 6, verses 4 through 7, we have a description of the type of luxury lifestyles these Israelites were living. The Bible says here that they were living in palaces that had ivory beds, plush couches, they ate choice cuts of meat, they enjoyed instrumental jam sessions, and I'm talking about all kinds of instruments you know, playing all kinds of music, most of it probably ungodly music. They would drink wine out of fancy cups, and they would use the best and fancy perfumes. I mean, they were living life on easy street, and they were glad of it. <laughs> and uh, they just frankly didn't see very much need in their life for God at all. Now, it's okay for us to be proud of the accomplishments that we have done, but uh, we should always be willing to publicly admit our total dependence on God, recognizing that it is God who allows us to accomplish anything and everything that we accomplish. I heard one time about a young ministerial student. He was a lot like these leaders in Israel. He felt very proud about his accomplishments. This young ministerial student graduated from seminary, and he could hardly wait for his first ministerial opportunity, which turned out to be at a large church. They put him on the staff. Now, that was the good news. And he had a pretty good salary, believe it or not. But the only position they had available 
was the position of janitor. Now, to be honest with you, he wasn't all that excited about becoming the janitor <laughs> of a large city First Baptist Church, but as he saw it, it was the beginning. And boy, he was going to make the most of it. He would brag to all of his friends about the fact that he was now on the staff of the First Baptist Church in a major city. I mean, can you imagine? Now, in my case, I graduated from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in New Orleans, okay? Now, can you imagine, you know, a young seminary graduate, fresh out of seminary, landing a staff position at the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas? I mean, would you consider that a major accomplishment? Well, yeah, but, of course, the position is that of chief custodian. In other words, you're going to be the head janitor. You're going to be heading up the janitorial department. You're going to be in charge of the unglamorous task of cleaning out clogged toilets, mopping dirty, grimy floors, sanitizing the place up one side and down the other, sweeping the parking lot, mowing the lawn. I mean, it's not glamorous work, but let's face it, somebody's got to do it. Now, now by the way, I speak from experience here because I myself <laughs> was at one time janitor of a church, not a First Baptist church, but I was janitor in a church. And they actually gave me a salary for cleaning out toilets and mopping floors and mowing lawns, etc., etc., etc. And I, I felt grateful to have that job. I mean, it was a time in my life where I needed an income badly. And I, I thought to myself, you know, this is pretty cool because, you know, let's face it. If you have a clean church facility, it's much easier to worship God than if everything is dirty and grimy and everything else. But say you've got this young seminary graduate, fresh out of seminary, we'll say he's janitor, First Baptist Dallas. So you can imagine he is wanting to play that up for all it's worth. He has a letter printed up that he's mailing out to different churches and associations and He's wanting the opportunity to do weekend speaking engagements, and uh, he's also wanting to, um, you know, do revivals and Bible conferences and, you know, stuff like that. And so he says, uh, I would love to come to your church. I am minister, and he puts that in bold print, then in teeny tiny microscopic he puts of maintenance. First Baptist, we'll say Dallas. And he thinks, boy, this is going to be impressive. Churches all over America are going to want me to come. Well, he actually got some inquiries from some of the churches, and they wanted to know. <laughs> they were actually paying more attention to the letter than he thought they would. They were wanting to know 
how his background cleaning out toilets qualified him to be an expository preacher, which is the kind of preacher they wanted to fill their pulpit. You know, so you can imagine the letdown that this young minister begins to feel. But we find in verse 7, Amos chapter 6 and verse 7, that Israel is warned, starting in verse 7, that their life of ease is about to come to an end. In fact, uh, pretty soon now they're going to be going into captivity, and it's not going to be fun. God warns that there will be mass destruction, big houses and little houses alike will be broken into pieces. Now the good news is there will be a handful of survivors. These will become the remnant. But even they won't have it easy because the land is going to be in total desolation. And rebuilding is going to seem like a mammoth task that they're not even equipped to deal with. I mean, think about what's going on right now between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, I think we've all been inspired about the way that the Ukrainians have held up against the Russians. They have refused to surrender. They are fighting to the bitter end to defend their homeland. And they're having a lot of success. And there will no doubt be survivors whenever this war comes to an end. But the task ahead for the survivors is not going to be easy. I think I read somewhere where in some of the eastern and southernmost cities now, you have a situation where there is about 98% total destruction. I think one of the statistics says that about 98% of all the buildings in town have been utterly and completely destroyed, flattened, level. They say that when the war ends, it could take up to three years just to clean away the debris before rebuilding can even start. So even the survivors are going to have it tough. And that's what God, through Amos, is telling the people of Israel. Yes, there will be a remnant, a very small remnant. But boy, let me tell you something. They're going to have it rough. God is very upset with Israel. He hates what Jacob is proud of. Now, Jacob is another term for Israel. He hates the strong towers that Jacob has built. I mean, Israel had these strong, tall towers built. It gave them a, I think, a false sense of security, but nonetheless, they felt secure that these towers and guardsmen were there. They felt like they were invincible, indestructible. <laughs> Once again, kind of like a college graduate. You know, I, I think back on the days when I was in college and seminary. And I think about how old I am now. 
not far from my 70th birthday. And, and the thing about it is, back then, <laughs> someone in their 60s or 70s, boy, I thought that was just old as Methuselah. Now I don't necessarily think it's that old. But I remember back then, I, I saw myself as having an unlimited future. I saw myself as invincible. But then somehow life has a way of whittling us down to size. That's what happened in my case, and I'm sure that's what happens in a lot of other cases. But anyway, Amos warns the people that their life of ease is about to come to an end. Now starting in verse 13, we read that Israel had a bragging spirit. They boasted about their accomplishments, and they did all of this on their own without God, or so they thought. But let me tell you something. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how many degrees you have on the wall. It is God who gives you the ability to do all that. But the Israelites, they lost total sight of that. They forgot that payday was on the way. Captivity was coming. The time was near when they were going to have to pay a pretty heavy price for the life that they were living. Then we come to the question, what is the message for us? Here in Amos chapter 6. It's very easy to say, well, boy, I tell you, I don't see how those Israelites could do what they were doing. They were so unfaithful to God. I mean, don't they realize it was God who brought them out of the land of Egypt? Don't they realize how well God took care of them in the wilderness? God gave them fresh manna to eat in the morning. He gave them quail to eat at night. I mean, they were eating high on the hog in the middle of the desert. God did a great job taking care of them. He provided a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to guide them. God had done so many wonderful things for Israel. And God had even allowed them to become economically successful, as they were now. But instead of thanking God for all that he had done for them, all they could do was think about all the great and wonderful things they had accomplished on their own without God. Now, like I say, folks, it's not wrong to be proud of your accomplishments. I mean, if you pass a major test at college, if you uh, graduate, get that diploma, that sheepskin, uh, you have every right to feel proud. It's something that you should be proud about. But also realize that it is God who gave you the smarts, so to speak, to earn that diploma. If you live in a nice house, drive a nice car, have a good-sized bank account, you don't deserve credit for any of that. God, God is the one who needs to be getting the credit for all that. And you must never forget that. And yet so many times we forget all that God has done for us. I mean, I can remember back in my life. I mean, when I was at seminary, 
there were times when I failed to see. I mean, or, or failed or failed to see. I, there were times when I didn't know where where my next meal was coming from. I mean, I knew that God would supply my need. I, I knew that I was at seminary because God wanted me there. But I have to tell you, at times, I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. And I was always amazed at how God would do it. I remember one night in particular at the seminary, I had uh, gone to uh, bed that night. I didn't have all that much to eat. I had, I think, enough to eat that day. It wasn't necessarily a lot. It wasn't all that I wanted, but it was a, a pretty fair meal, all things considered. Pretty fair meal. And then I went to bed and I said, how am I going to eat tomorrow? I had no food for tomorrow. I had no money in my wallet. I had no bank account at all. So I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to eat tomorrow? I forgot temporarily all about the wonderful way God provided for me that day and all the days up to that day. But now I was worrying and fretting over where my next meal was coming from. Well, the next morning I got up, and just like it was when I went to bed, I still had no idea where my next meal was coming from. And then all of a sudden, I saw an envelope a stuffed envelope, it was slid under the door. It slid halfway across the room to where I was standing. And I picked up this envelope to see what it said, and it said, Slow Fund. And then right underneath that, it, it was printed the words, Show Love on Warren. So I opened up the envelope. And as I opened up this envelope, there was a certain amount of cash in there. And I knew this was an amount of money that would probably at least buy me enough food at the grocery store for a week. And I have to say, I was praising God. I mean, this was an obvious answer to prayer. God had given me what I had asked him for the night before. He had provided me not only enough food, eat for that day, but for all the rest of the week as well. And there were numerous other stories during my college and seminary years where I learned how God was going to supply all the things that I needed. I remember uh, when I went off to college, I had about $16 in penny rolls. It's about 32 penny rolls, if you want to count them. Each penny roll represents 50 cents. It wasn't a lot of money now. It wouldn't be a lot of money now. It was even less money then, seemingly. But I guess with 32 penny rolls, I felt a little bit prosperous. But that's all I had, about $16 to go to college on. And I'm thinking to myself, during the drive down to college... I'm thinking, now, how am I going to pay for tuition and room and board and laundry and all this other stuff that goes with college? How am I going to do that for a whole semester on $16? I said, God, 
you got to do something here. It don't add up. But I then discovered that God is in the miracle business. One of the things I learned in college, and to me this is so much more important than anything academic that I learned, and that is the fact that I could trust God to supply my needs. I learned what it was to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. And I think that's part of the lesson that God wants us to see here in Amos chapter 6. Now for next time, I want you to go ahead and read chapter 7. If you want to read the rest of the book of Amos, that would be okay. We've only got chapters 7, 8, and 9. So we've only got three more chapters remaining. So it's not going to take long to read the rest of the book of Amos at this point. And next time my commentary will begin with Amos chapter 7. Now by the way, if you have any Bible study questions, if you have any prayer requests, I would love to hear from you. Uh, the best way to contact me is by email. And I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com and the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com And then if you want to contact me by snail mail, that is to say you want to write me an old-fashioned letter with a stamp on it, then you could do that too. My, my snail mail address is warrenlandis 80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. That's Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now, if you feel out of the Lord to close an offering and help us uh, do things here in the ministry at Sunshine USA, that would be great. As I've pointed out many times, uh, I don't get a salary for doing this program. I don't get a salary for serving as the president and founder of Sunshine USA. I do all this voluntarily without pay simply because I love you, and most of all, because I love the Lord. And that's my only reason for doing it. And I hope that you will take time to tell others about this radio ministry called Sunshine USA, because chances are, if you enjoy this program, there's going to be other people out there that will enjoy listening to this program also a program where I try to teach God's people the Word of God. You know, one of the reasons I started this program, in addition to my desire to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I, I was just appalled at how very little about the Bible the average Christian knows. The average Christian today doesn't know their Bible very well at all. And, and that's why back in 2012... I felt led of the Lord to start this ministry called Sunshine USA. And now, of course, we're about almost a whole decade into this particular podcasting ministry. 
In fact, this coming September, it'll be exactly 10 years or one decade since the Lord led me to start this ministry. And I can tell you, I have a lot of plans for the future of Sunshine USA. I hope the Lord will let me live long enough to accomplish some of these things. And I hope the Lord will lead me to visionary people that love the Lord, that would feel led of the Lord to get involved in this ministry. I'm already praying for the day when someone will be replacing me as the director of this ministry. And if I die before the rapture, I hope this ministry will continue doing its work until the day Jesus Christ comes back to this earth in the rapture. So pray for me. And by the way, I'm going to be praying for you as well. Well, uh, that brings us pretty much to the close of this uh, particular broadcast. I've enjoyed uh, spending this time with you today. I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. But don't fret none, because you know what? Tomorrow we're going to do it all over again. <laughs> so you keep tuning in. And I'll keep producing these programs as long as God gives me the strength and the ability to do it. So until then, God bless you. And don't fret none, because I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.